0: We've been studying the gospel according to Luke. We're in Luke chapter 6, the Sermon on the Plain, as it's been called. We started with the Lucan Beatitudes, four blessings followed by four woes. Now we're looking at how we ought to live in this world, a world that might end up hating us, a world that might end up wanting to kill us. We've been living in a reprieve, but it's possible that the ideas or the tides have turned and we're headed back To the world's natural state. And as Jesus puts it in John 15. The world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world. The world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. Are you greater than Jesus? No. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they would keep yours. Not greater than Jesus. That's where we were last week. In spite of this reaction by the world, we're blessed. But we will treat our enemies with love. In fact, you might remember, for enemies, what do we do? Love. OK, Maybe some of you can do better that we're here last week. For haters, what? Do good. For the cursers. blessing. For the abusers. Prayer. For the strikers. Opportunity. For the takers, offering. This next one, to some measure, don't read too much into it, but for the beggars, free pass to some degree. And we talked about that. If you missed that last week, and for those of you that have trouble with that one, the beggars who are fakers and actually takers. <laughs> some measure. We talked about this Wednesday night. There's, there's not a, a lack of wisdom in how we choose to live those things out. This is, that's a, that whole thing is a tough, complicated, challenging Way to live. Lots of ins and outs. There's a million questions you could ask, a million what ifs. And uh, I think that I'm ready, if you are, to make that our lifelong thing, is not just keep trying to figure out how to do it. We also briefly covered Luke chapter 6 last week, the end of it. We just read through the end of this, and I'm going to read through it again. If If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. I mean, that's your guideline. I'll love the people that love me. Well, you're no different than anybody else in the world. If you do good to those who do good to you, if that's, your, if that's your criteria, they do good to me, I'll do good to them. Is that your criteria? Well, even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit? What, what, Where's the credit? You're thinking, well, there's no credit if they don't give it back. You're right. But what credit is, if that's your criteria, even sinners lend to sinners to get the same amount. And don't miss the promise here, the summary, verse 35, but love your enemies, do good, lend, expecting nothing, return, and listen to the reward. Your reward will be great, and you will be genetically like God most high. You'll be showing the signs, they'll be checking your ancestry, and they're like, he's like God, she's like God most high. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Which leads us directly to the next portion of this message. Keep this phrase in mind. Keep thinking about mercy, because we've received mercy. It's going to be two don'ts and two do's with some promises that we're going to talk about. And I think as much as last week was about some actions... This week is going to be about that attitude that comes into play, that stance, so to speak. And I think before we go on, we should pray. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, these words are challenging, to say the least. I ask that you would help us, as your disciples, your followers, to hear, be, be hearers, to have, to have ears to hear what's being said. And ready to do what you called us to do. God, I pray now that you'd be with me as I present these words. Help me to do it in such a way that represents who you are in your character. And the words that have been taught clearly. Pray that you'd be with those in this room. That they would be ready to hear those things and ready to repent if needed. We ask these things now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the verse up there We're going we're gonna, we to deal with something Before we really even start to understand this verse Because the verse I'm going to put up here Is a verse that Everybody in America seems to know You talk to people about the Bible What do you know about the Bible? They, they, there's like two things they know They, know, they might know John 3.16 Although that's decreasing Fewer and fewer know that But they know at least the first two words Of this next verse Somehow, they don't know anything else about the Bible, but they know, those, they know those two words. Judge not, don't you know? Another way that you hear this, only God will judge. And we, let's put it on everything and write it all over the place and on ourselves and everything else, right? Let's, I mean, that's the only God will judge. So let's get some clarity. Is all judging excluded by this judge not? I mean, in the same passage in Luke 6, it, like just a few verses from now we're going to talk about eventually. There's, there's a, a, a where Jesus teaches. says get, He's talking about getting the speck out of your brother's eye. And he tells you some things to do first, but he's going through the process. But then he ends with saying, get the speck, then do, then do it. Get the speck out of your brother's eye. And the speck is clearly not talking about a speck. It's talking about something this person is doing that's wrong that you're to go, hey, you stop doing that. There's a process. But at some point, Jesus said, do this, but then do that. And then he talks about identifying trees by their fruit, unless you think the Bible is just talking about how to be a good gardener. He's saying the trees are people, and the fruit is what they're doing. And so in some version, in some way, this, in fact, I'm going to use a commentator here, Darrell Box says, the judgment view does not refer to refusal to engage in appropriate ethical evaluation, it's not talking about that. To add some more to this, Jesus Himself teaches in John seven twenty four: "Do not judge by appearances." But what does it say? And, and you know what? I gotta say, I'm so glad He said "Amen" because it jogged my memory. Yeah, one of my favorite things about this church. I, I was I was preparing for this, and I'm like, you know what? This is probably one of the least judgmental churches I've ever been to in my entire life. And I praise God. I think my... Okay, since it went dead by itself, it may... I may need batteries. Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um... But notice the second half of this, what Christ says. But judge with right judgment. Do you just want to pop the batteries out of that one? Talk amongst yourselves. Am I on? Excellent. I'm on. Okay. If I go out again, somebody motion to me. All right. But notice this command here. Clearly, Jesus says, don't judge this way. And so you start to get the idea that this maybe what Jesus is talking about with don't judge is this a certain type of judging, maybe he's talking about. He's referencing a certain way that people might judge. The Corinthian church, we studied 1 Corinthians at this church a while ago. The Corinthian church had a lot of issues with this. And so when you look up the word judge, you see a lot of things from Corinthians. Paul tells tells them, he says, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Some of you are going, I didn't know that verse was in there. (laughs) It's in there. You go, and I like the other one that said, judge not. <laughs> you know what the, the, this is about, this particular verse is talking about, it's right in the context where Paul's telling the Corinthian church, there was a person in the church that was living in sin, and he's going through this whole process of how to confront them and talk to them, and, and it's all about love. When that person doesn't repent, there's, there's got to be some major, like as this church is discerning about the people in the church, at some point they come to that place where they, in Paul's words, have to expel this person out of the church when they refuse to repent. When you read it, it's saturated in love, it's dripping with love. Any good parent knows that true discipline is always saturated in love. On a related topic in the next chapter of Corinthians, Paul is then talking about discerning issues between members in the body. Try to wrap your head around this verse. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Did you know that? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? you got these problems within the church. You you should be able to handle these things. You're eventually going to do this. And some of you are going, I didn't even know I was going to do that. Well, now you know. We ought to be discerning people. I think there's times and places that we could talk about what this is about. In fact, I would ask you to consider that maybe what Jesus is talking about when he says don't judge is a certain type or certain place or certain way that you're going to do those things. In fact, I'm technically I'm asking you to, to, to judge if I'm telling you the truth or to put in Paul's words, I speak to sensible people, I hope. Judge for yourselves what I say. So th- there's, a, there's a measure of discernment that ought to be taken. So when you have somebody that says judge not, and that's the only part that they know, they might need some help understanding the rest of that, that that's not what that's talking about. And maybe you need to understand that's not what that's talking about. But I needed to throw that out there. Let's, let's just get a nice level playing field that this do not judge must be about something different than maybe. In fact, to put it this way, maybe the world doesn't know what they're talking about when they say this. Like, you could be like, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. Now, two more things before I proceed. I'm going to give you four points in the text that I'm going to cover. There's going to be four points. These four points I realized at the end of the day yesterday, as I was working these out. I realized two things about these four points. First of all, I realized that these four points were the four things that... Let me see. Do you guys know that I'm a dean at Danville High School? Think about that for a moment Many kids in Danville <laughs> I, I get to talk to those kids I love my job by the way I love that job But I realized as I was going through this That there's four things that I'm going to bring up that, that have to do with the, the, the stance It's the process that I take as a dean A disciplinary dean These four things I'm going to share with you today are, are built into how I approach my role as dean. Now, understand, as a dean, what am I doing? I'm dealing specifically with people who did something wrong. They're usually immature humans, as you know, if you've met a teenager. They're not, their brains aren't done being be, growing, and it's not developed yet. They're, they're working off a... Three cylinders most of the time when it comes to thinking. And I'm usually talking to them if they're in the dean's office usually because they've done something based on what that fourth cylinder should have been doing. And they weren't thinking about it and they did something stupid, wrong, mean, whatever it is. So you're going to see these four points are four points that guide my dean process on a daily basis. Okay. You're also going to see, as I realized shortly after realizing that, that these four points match up with, when I think of the simplest version of the gospel message, it matches up with the gospel message. In fact, you guys ever heard of, I know some of you in the room, you've heard of this. You ever heard of the Romans Road? Raise your hand if you've actually heard of the Romans Road. Okay, more than I thought. There's a lot of people that go, i never heard of that. You went to church back in the day, you've heard of the Romans Road. Now, I don't remember if I have the same Romans passages for the Romans Road, but I'm going to give them to you. The first part of the Romans road has everything to do with the fact that we're all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners and deserve God's judgment. If God is to be a righteous judge, discern about you, his judgment should be gavel on the podium, sinner. God is righteous judge, should say that about each and every one of you according to the scriptures. And then God's judgment for sin then is to die. The wages of sin, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, eternal death, condemnation. Judgment, right judgment leads to right condemning of each and every one of us. But then, as most of you, most of you uh, think, you love those places in the Bible where the word but comes in. But God shows his love toward us, for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this path is cleared for forgiveness of sins. To be declared righteous. Romans 5, 9, the very next verse, since therefore we have now been justified, declared righteous by his blood. I mean, this was not a cheap Forgiveness that was bought. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And this leads to that fourth part. So we're, we're, we deserve judgment. That judgment deserves condemnation. Forgiveness is being offered. And with that forgiveness. Giving. This giving gracious God gives beyond our imagination. Good things. confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved and that salvation what is it talking about let's go back to that Romans six twenty three. the second half of it the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord the gospel message is about judgment being averted condemnation being averted forgiveness being offered and life being given I should put that on a slide shouldn't I Oh, I did. (laughs) The gospel message is about judgment being averted, condemnation being averted, forgiveness being offered, and life being given. So now let's jump back into this passage. Judge not, and you will not be judged. So the command is don't judge. Don't judge, I think, we could add the words in there to help us understand it this way, the way that he's talking about. Darabach says this, one of my commentaries said this, the idea is a judgmental and censorious perspective towards others that holds them down in guilt and never seeks to encourage them towards God don't judge this way and the promise if you don't judge this way then what? then you won't be judged this could have some right now implications and I think it probably does doesn't it sometimes? Yeah. Judgmental critical people tend to have, eventually, if you're like that all the time, people start to do what? (laughs) Back at you. In a very real sense, that's exactly, there's some of that truth right in here. But I think we can look beyond that. I think there's some eternal implications as well. If you don't judge now, then God will not pass judgment on you in the future. That's the hope. Isn't that what we want for ourselves? I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that what you want for yourself? That God will not pass judgment on you according to what you've done? Forget about everybody else for a minute. What about you? As a dean, this is the first part of my stance. I, I don't know how to describe it other than... I, I mean, okay. I'm, I'm in an office. I'm sitting down. Okay, I'm in a desk. I'm sitting there. But my heart... Has When the day starts to come and the kids start to come in, my heart has one foot forward and one foot back. And my arms are like this. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> and then all day, it's bad, 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 bad. Take it. And I can't have a stance of moral superiority over anyone that steps foot into my office. I think this is also something that drives this church and ought to drive all churches. Not anyone. Nobody. I don't care what they've done. There's not a one of you in this room should take a stance of moral superiority over anybody on this planet. What is unconditionally demanded is that such evaluation should be subject to the certainty that God's judgment falls also on those who judge. So that superiority, hardness, and blindness to one's own faults are excluded. You can't have that. Get rid of that. You ought to have a very clear representation of your own sinfulness while you're looking at anybody else. And in case you forgot... As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. There's not a person in this room that can stand before God just apart from Christ himself. And you know that. That's a quotation from Psalm 53. Let's read it from there. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt doing abominable iniquity. There is none who does good. God looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand who seeks after God. They have all fallen away. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. For all have sinned. Man, that falls short. Barely does it justice. The glory of God. You ever told a lie? Bunch of liars. You ever kill anybody? Don't raise your hand if you did, please. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let me ask you this. You ever been angry at somebody? I want you to listen to the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the only perfect man. You've heard it of fire who are you to stand in moral superiority to anybody in God's economy you're a bunch of liars and a bunch of murderers you ever commit adultery don't raise your hand again some of you yep but if you even have any moral superiority over this Let me ask you this question. You ever looked and thought? Jesus tells us again, listen to his words. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. A bunch of liars, a bunch of murderers, and a bunch of adulterers. Who are we to stand in moral superiority over anyone? If you're thinking you're pretty good for keeping most of the law, consider Paul's words in Galatians. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. See, kept every single thing? Put it a little bit more clearly James puts it, Whoever keeps the whole law but fails In one point become guilty Of all of it you're a traitor To God most high You really only have one option to try to achieve Your own righteousness to t- attain Any type of moral superiority You're going to be perfect We're called to try to be that way Don't take the stance of moral superiority over anyone. If you do, you're a blind fool that is not seeing your own sin clearly. Um, had that part written. I know that today there are people in this audience that have people who have sinned against them if you're unclear I'm telling you right now what God is calling you to do is right here start here you're a sinful wretch before God and whoever is out there before you start thinking about anything out there As we're going to get to in a few weeks. Get that beam. The sin. My sin against him. Compared to their sin against me. The verse continues. Judge not. You will not be judged. And then he says next. Condemn not. Do You guys see that gospel message. Starting to filter into this. Judgment. Condemnation. Did not, you will not be condemned. For, but let's just focus on that. Don't condemn. This flows from that judgment, but takes it a step further. It's talking about that final outcome, the final result. What does someone deserve? What should happen to them? Have you decided that in your mind already for anyone? Proverbs twenty four seventeen says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls. Let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Let the Lord see it. And be displeased. Be displeased at who? You. And turn away his anger from him. Did you hear that promise though? Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Let's be honest. Is there a person in this room that actually wants God's right, clear judgment for you to get what you deserve? Do you really want things to all come out the way we deserve? For everybody else, but not for you? This all started at the beginning when mankind inter- oh. <laughs> what did I hit? Oh, there's a whole bunch more slides. Joe, I don't think you're going to be able to find him. I don't know what. Let's see if Joe can work some magic back there. I don't know what happened. But <laughs> don't judge. Absolutely. I oh, I've lost control. He's messing with it. Talk amongst yourselves. You know, um, while we're doing this, I, I have to say. You know, the, the thing about getting up here and preaching like this, it, these things are so hard to talk about for me. But I can tell you right now, I, I, I'm not just saying this as a dean. Like One of my driving forces right now, and I can say, by God's grace alone, is, is this. I, I, I praise the Lord because there's so many times that kids have been able to come up to me and say, Mr. Honos, how come you're never mad at us? And I don't always get to bring it all the way home, but it's this. I'm a sinner before God. Who am I to get mad at you for what you've done? I mean, when you start to really get a hold of these ideas and these concepts, it becomes more difficult to even get mad at people. Because your, your whole view of the world changes. And you're like, you look at yourself, I'm like the worst sinner I'm a planet. Didn't Paul himself say that? I'm Paul the chief among sinners. I mean, I talk about these things and this is not something that you can just sit there and say, "Okay, I'm going to put put my, you know, nose to the grindstone so and make it happen to be this way." This is a work of God. I mean, when you're if you're sitting here and you're hearing these things and you're saying, "Man, I need to change. I'm not I'm judgmental and critical." And I love to see people get what they deserve. I'm not telling you, I'm not sitting here saying, well, you need to try really hard. No, I think you need to cry out to God, Lord, work in my heart. Work in my heart. That I see things clearly, that I have my eyes opened up. Did you do the magic? That's awesome. Give Joe a hand. Yay for Joe. This all started at the beginning. God only had one rule at that time. But technically there was the rule behind it. Are you going to lift up God as God? Does God get to say what you ought to and what ought not to do? That's really what this was about. And He says, don't eat of it. You eat of it, you're going to die. In the Hebrew that says, if you eat of it, you will be dead, dead. In the Hebrew, to accentuate something, many times, like if they wanted to say a house was really big, they wouldn't just say they didn't have a word for really, they just said it's big, big. In this case, he says, you shall be dead, dead. You shall surely, that's why we put it that way, surely die. You're going to die, like die. Paul tells us many... Hundreds and hundreds of years later, just as sin came to the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. In case you forgot, because all sinned, and we already said the wages of sin is death. What do you deserve? What is your proper condemnation? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. There's a whole bunch of other things. Is this not clicking? It's not clicking, Joe. Thank you, Joe. You're the best. There we go. Oh, see, I had that one up there. We got it now. A lot of things can be said about this, but listen to this This story right here. this, This teaching is about trying to eliminate sin out of your life by any means necessary. But I brought it up for one purpose because notice says, it's better for you to enter life crippled than, like, whatever you got in this life. Better to get, go without it and enter that life crippled than to keep what you got, keep your sin, and go to hell. And as Christ calls that, what? An unquenchable fire. Peter tells us this, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction... But what did he do at the same time? Making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. I shared a while ago, and uh, actually, Joe and I were talking about this the other day. He, he brought this up. Um, it's not my example, but if you think about crimes against people, let's say, let's say I go up to um, you know, one of you and say you're kind of a jerk and I smack you in the face. Uh, there might be some type of condemnation or judgment for doing that, right? A consequence. Let's say I did it to a police officer. Is the consequence going to increase? At least potentially, and it should. Say, I not, I'm not trying to give you guys any ideas. Keep Keep your thoughts in. Hold on. Say you punched Joe Biden. Um, what would the consequences be, though? What, would it, now let's imagine we lived in a. Let's imagine we. See, I knew I was setting some people up for some. Let's say. Let's say we lived in a kingdom with a king. Right, royalty. You attack the king. What could happen? I mean, it's even a punch. What could happen to you? you put to death. Do you realize that all of our crimes are against the high king of the universe? Some people have trouble understanding that infinite, like unquenchable fire. What do, you, do you realize who you've sinned against? See, I think if you go, wow, that seems out of whack. Let me throw another side to this in there. Let's say, think about the innocence factor, not just the royalty factor, but let's, or the greatness factor. Let's, let's think about the innocence factor. Say I uh, punch one of you guys in the face. Let's say let's shift it. Say I punch a kid, one of these kids. It just seems worse, doesn't it? Here I'll make it. I'll make it feel really bad. Let's say I punch Addy. What would you guys do to me? I don't want to think about it. What if I punch Darius? Simone, no, Simone's going, do it, do it. (laughs) The, The innocence, the newborn baby. Doesn't the innocence element increase, even in our own perception, the atrocity of the crime? God is not only the most great, but the most pure being in the universe. Your crimes against him deserve those things. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. This is the end of time. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. We heard about that death at the beginning in Genesis. This is what it looks like Ultimately. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And this is why Jesus calls this place multiple occasions a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, torment. So let me put it this way. Don't don't take a stance of moral superiority over anyone, but also don't assume anyone's final outcome. And to put it a little bit more clearly, hope in grace for everybody. I know there's some people out there that you go, man, I wish they'd get what they deserve. But man, there's got to be a part of you as a true follower of Christ. When you start to understand the gospel, there's got to be a part of you in there somewhere that goes, maybe you could even save them. You saved me. I know what I deserve, God, and you're not going to give it to me. Who am I to stand in condemnation over any other soul on this planet, this drive is my deaning. Hope for every single kid. Hope that God could do something in them. Hope and grace, just hope in it. This is going to require you to do the next thing. Notice the promise. Forgive, and what's the promise? You will be forgiven. This is not the only place where this connection is made. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus makes this connection. You forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, let's just take that at face value right there. I mean, I could get all theological on you and try to pinpoint the reason is, has to do with the fact that a truly forgiven person understands forgiveness. But man, I'm telling you what right now. That's what it says. If you forgive, he'll forgive. If you don't forgive, you're not getting forgiven. If there's no other reason to be a forgiving person, there it is. Matthew 18, so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Judgment will happen without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. We forgive because we need forgiveness that can drive us, that can motivate us. Can it not? Our own great need of forgiveness, our sin against God. I've spoken of some of these things, but David himself, guilty of adultery and murder, actual adultery, actual murder, was still able to identify against you, God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. I need forgiveness from you, Father. Every sin is ultimately against the God of the universe, the God that made you and sustained you and. Hold your molecules together right now. But in Christ, forgiveness is offered. We forget the great part of this, don't we? In Him, in Christ. Acts puts it this way, to Him. Speaking of Christ, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through his name and this is not without cost there was a price for this righteous justice of God in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and with the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins without that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins Christ's crucifixion on the cross. How is God able to forgive you, you wretch? Us wretches. It's through Christ's righteous life and his death on the cross. Sustaining the judgment of God on himself. He cried out from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cry of the damned so that not a one of us would ever have to say that be ready to forgive anyone for anything now you, you don't you want to tell god that sentence <laughs> right Don't you want to look at God and say, God, I hope you're ready to forgive anyone for anything. Because that means I can be forgiven. You. Pay attention to yourselves. Jesus tells his followers, his apostles. If your brother sins, rebuke him. There's still room for that. If he repents, forgive him. Do you see that stance of forgiveness? It kind of feels like one foot forward, doesn't it? One foot back. Oh, man, this one's going to be tough. If he sins against you seven times in the day, the same day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must. Forgive him. If you haven't thought this already, the apostles, the very next verse, that's 17.4, 17.5, what did the apostles say? The apostles then said to the Lord, increase our faith. (laughs) You you know, um, faith is is not a sense of trust. Sometimes we think of it that way. Faith is... Faith is a view of God. It's it's a lot of it's right up here. Seeing things correctly. We use the word faith correctly when we, when we talk about like the Christian faith, the, the Christian view. Right, this faith, this faith. Our faith is how we see things, and so when we say increase our faith, help us to get a better view and understanding of God. I mean let's be honest how many billion people in the world right now how many are christians in this world right now that seven times a day are (laughs) crying out to god again and again and again and again and again and you're going to turn around and somebody does something to you and go Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There's no way i am keep your. I'm not saying be an idiot, but I am saying you must forgive them. Finally, verse thirty-eight. Remember the gospel message: averting judgment, averting condemnation path to forgiveness and in God's ultimate free gift. And what do you see next right here? What did God tell you to do? Honestly, I think Jesus is saying what God, you do. What you're wanting God to do, you're doing. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, my primary thought here is of the sheer generosity which we should be prepared to show in return for the immense goodness of God. That good measure. Back in these days, if you were going to get a right measurement, this is what they'd do. They'd sit down in their lap and they'd have the container. They're going to put the corn in. They'd put it in. They'd press it down. Then they'd shake it. Get it all settled in there. And they put some more on so it would be running over. That's how they would measure it. And some of it's going to, when it's running over, if where is it going to land? If you're holding that basket and it's getting measured into you, it's going to land right in your left. This generosity. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is not death. It's more than that, isn't it? Free gift to God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Is that overflowing, landing in your lap? Life eternal. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not go into judgment, but there's more than that, but has passed from death to life. This is where this has to sink in. This call is based on what you've received. And this is why we can begin to look at Anything that's going on, so let's go back to the beginning of this when some of you were thinking about, and you came here today, and there's been some people that have been knuckleheads and have treated you wrong, they've hurt you, they've sinned against you. The list could go on. And then you come to church and the pastor starts saying, don't be judgmental, don't be condemning, forgive and give. This is only possible for a person who understands what's already been done for them. And so somebody that begins to see this clearly, see, that's what it's about. It's about seeing it the way it actually is. See, if you're seeing their sin as bigger than your sin against God, then you're, you're wrong. And people that start to see this clearly, they can say things like this, this light momentary affliction, specifically talking about things that are coming from other human beings on this planet that are causing you pain. That light momentary flame, all it's doing is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. There's nothing. And these bad things, all they, all they do is they make you go, well, that, this is bad, but that's just making me think about how great that's going to be. And if you see, you start seeing it clearly. It changes everything about how you respond to other people. And so, so, why, why, why do those kids go, Mr. Harms, How come you never get mad at us? You realize we just dropped the F bomb five times, and they were smoking over there weed and trying to get by with it in your class. And this kid was lying to your face, and he cheated on the test that you gave. And they, you, how come how, you're not mad now? This slight momentary reflection doesn't even compare to the glory that's going to be revealed. I, I can't say, oh, I'm doing that because Matt's. I, I'm just a naturally patient guy. I'm just, that Matt, he's just such a nice guy. He's a nice fella. No, I'm not. See? Where, where does that come from? I, honestly, I feel some days like, like the scales have been pulled from my eyes. And when I, when I look intently and, and what God's doing for me, and I'm thinking about those things. And, then, and i think about thinking about that. This is why I think it's important to read your Bible in the morning, right? think about who god is and what he's done and then, and then somebody does something to you and they're like and, I, and it's you know they're like they did this thing to you and they're like oh this was really terrible thing to you and then the other people around you are going i can't believe they did that to you can you believe they did that to you and you're like ah. now i can't say i do that all the time but when i don't why didn't i because i wasn't looking at him and when i'm looking at him then suddenly these things go nah sound like an old man i started to say pish posh What is it? What is that to me? They're standing in possible condemnation to God. I want to I show just, just, a, just a glimmer, just a glimmer of what I'm getting. I just to take a, just a little bit of it. I mean, I can't do anything like what he's doing, but if I could just take a, just a bit, just this much of it, just, just this little tiny bit of God's good grace and just take just a little bit of it and, 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 and show it to them. I mean, it's not even comparable to what he's done for me but man if if i could just take a bit and just just, you start to hope and if i can do this god show your grace to them maybe i get to be a part of that maybe they'll see that glimmer and they'll go where'd that come from and i can go that's not me that's him and that's just a bit you have no idea how great he is skip ahead here to the end don't take the stance this is my dean mentality I'm not better than any one of those kids that comes in there you my friends don't be ready or don't don't take a stance of moral superiority over anybody I don't care what they've done to you or to anybody else you're no better than they are if you don't believe it you're wrong don't assume anyone's final outcome and the flip side of that i think is hoping in grace i hope that you every single person you meet you hope no matter what they've done or who they've done it to you could sit there and you look and you go god i I know i deserve hell for eternity and you've, you've you've done a work in my heart and as much as there's, there's things that they've done, that there's a part of me which is for justice and hopes for justice, I hope that that justice got poured out on Christ at the cross. That that person might see your grace and turn and repent and hope in grace. Be ready. Get that stance, get that posture going. Be ready to forgive anybody for anything. Just be ready to do it all the time. It ought to be like this. There, there's some people that they haven't come to you. They haven't done the part where they go, hey, I'm sorry. But I want you to be like, like, you ever seen a, a cat see the little feather you're dragging across the ground with the string? Right? And the haunches. That's how you ought to be when you're thinking about forgiveness. I'm just waiting. All they have to do is say it. You know, I'm really, I forgive you. <laughs> You, you ought not be the kind of person that if somebody says, I'm sorry, you go, i got going to have to think about it for a little bit. I'm going to work on that one. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're terrible, so I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I'm way better than you, so I'm just going to have So, And since I am better than you, I may be able to forgive you, but it's only because I'm awesome and you're terrible. <laughs> you guys laugh, but there's some of you that that's exactly how you work forgiveness. That is exactly how you work forgiveness. You think you're better than they are, and you think the only reason why you never forgive is because you're such a good person, they're such a bad person, that's the way it's got to be. No, you forgive because God forgave you, and you're a terrible person for not jumping on it when you get the chance. And finally, be ready. Be ready to restore anyone to a position. You be ready. I'm not saying be stupid or foolish, there, there's, there's conversation we have about that, but in general, let me tell you how I play this out as a dean. Every day when a kid comes in, I don't care what they did yesterday, it's a brand new day. It's a brand new day, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect good things from them. And I'm not going to hold it against them no matter what they did. I don't care how many times they did it. I can tell you that has a huge impact on kids. I can t- talk to you about that from that perspective. As a dean, when I was a teacher, it didn't matter what the kid did the day before. When they came back in my classroom the next day, and I, I'd, I'd tell them, they'd say, you know, kids would ask me, and I'd say, hey, mercy's new every morning, right? Why, why is that? Because his mercies are new every morning, and because his mercies are new every morning, my mercies ought to be new every morning. So it doesn't matter what you do. I'm, I'm ready. If you said it, I'm sorry, forgive me, I'm forgiving you, move on. Hey, it's a new day. Be ready, just be ready to restore anyone to a position of good. And just in case you didn't see it. We're all sinners. We all deserve final judgment in hell. We've been offered forgiveness at a great price. I tell you, the price, have, have you gone that distance yet with anybody for the sake of forgiveness that he's gone for you, even close? And my numbers are off, I don't know why. Those are automatically numbered and now they just, I don't know what that means. There's no hidden meaning <laughs> if you're trying to figure that out. Don't don't read into it. Just, I promise th- this morning that said 1, 2, 3, 4 and 1, 2, 3, 4. I, I there's a place of grace for all who call upon him. Every single person in this room, if you call upon the name of the Lord, there's a place of grace for you. Ought you not be the same way towards others? I'm going to close in a word of prayer and my word of prayer is going to be simple I'm going to pray that you and I see ourselves clearly I'm going to pray that God helps you see yourself or who you really are I'm going to give you a warning a way that that might happen in my own life Sometimes when God wants to show me who I really am he just kind of lets me have free reign to make my own decisions and I've done some stupid stupid crap in my life and done some terrible things and God's been there to go that's you Matt that's you so I'm going to pray that God help us see clearly without having to go through that you've got to just open your eyes Maybe God will bring to mind things you've done in your past. And you'll see, that's me. I'm a sinner, a wretch. But I'm saved by grace. And this good God has given me eternal life, and I'm getting tastes of it now. I'm getting tastes of it now. Lord, help me to just give it to everybody else too. Heavenly Father, You are a God who opens eyes of blind men with a word. Sometimes you did it with mud, but you open eyes. God, I ask now that you would help us all to have our eyes opened to our own sin, to our deserved condemnation, but also to your forgiveness with its price and the gift of life that you're bestowing on us and then help us lord with that in view to to try to just chisel off bits of that grace to give to others Lord, this will be difficult for many of us because our sinful hearts will be defiant to your grace and they will seek to justify themselves. Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to fall to those lies. Lord, to stand confident in your grace And ready to give it to others. I pray these things now in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, you guys are dismissed.